You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. And we think love is a warm blanket on a winter night, snuggling up to the fire, feeling roasty, toasty all over, getting the chills. I don't believe if you think like that, you really know what love is. I don't believe you really know what love is. You see, the truth in the Bible is love is not an emotion. Loving like Jesus is not about having that warm, fuzzy feeling all over. Loving Jesus is about living a lifestyle that impacts the world like Jesus impacted the world. We often show love to others with comfort, be it affection, affirmation, respect, or even just patience. But God's love is different. It's very difficult to describe it in just an intro. In today's message, Pastor Dave speaks about the noticeable difference between our normal love and God's love for us. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of 1 John chapter 4 as he begins his message, Have You Lost That Feeling? We are in some very, very interesting scriptures in 1 John 4, verses 20 and 21. If you have found your way there, I would like to read aloud, if you could read along silently with me, please. If someone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him that he who loves God must love his brother also, shall we pray. So Lord, it's our goal, Lord, to be a loving church. It's our goal to share the love of Jesus Christ, not only with each other, but to those who come in and those who are on the outside, Father. It's our want and hope that that love would touch their hearts and that they would be drawn to you, Lord. Not us, you. We must decrease, you must increase. So Lord, we're grateful for these scriptures today. We ask that you bless them, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So you know where we've been in our study of 1 John. And you know that the main theme of this entire section that we've been studying, that John has been hammering home at us, is loving. Loving the Lord first. Loving each other the same way the Lord has loved us. John has basically said, Love is not an option. Jesus commanded us to love with all our hearts and minds and strength. Love each other the way he has loved us. John declared that because Jesus died on the cross for us, taking our sin away, giving us freedom and reconciling our life to God, then we should love each other in return. Not only love him, but love each other. And John told us that we shouldn't love in words and tongue but we should love in deeds and truth. He told us that this is how we can know we are of God, because God is love. He told us that we can show the love of God to others and by our love, not only for each other in the body, but for those outside as well, people will come to God. And last week we studied 
that through the Holy Spirit now, this love is being perfected in our hearts. It's being perfected right now in our hearts. And it's interesting that John has said all along that this was the message that he had heard from the beginning. And when I reread this, I paused. And it came to me that this is not the John we first met in the Gospels. When we first met brothers James and John, sons of Zebedee, they were not the most loving individuals in the entire world. No. And although they were very passionate about what they believed, they were also vindictive. They were obsessed with their own fame and glory. In fact, Jesus gave them a great name, Bonerges, sons of thunder. And there's three great examples that I want to draw your attention to to make my point here in the Gospels. The first one is in Luke 9. And in Luke 9, in verses 51 through 55... It says, now it came to pass when the time had come for him to be received up, that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem, and he sent messengers before his face. And as they went, they entered a village of the Samaritans to prepare for him. But they did not receive him because his face was set for the journey of Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did? He turned and rebuked them and said, you do not know what matter of spirit you are. The Son of Man did not come to destroy a man's life, but to save them. And they went into the village. So here you see an immature John wanting to throw fire down on them. They don't believe in you. We'll get them. Let's burn them. Let's smoke them. Let's make them crispy critters. Now, I know you've never felt that way. No, no, no. You never felt that way at all. No. We're going to blast them. They don't respect our Lord. Boom, you're dust. Goodbye. You got to love John for that. I mean, come on. You got to love that. The next time is in Mark. And in Mark chapter 9, verses 39 through 41, we see these things. Now, John answered him saying, teacher, we saw someone who does not follow us casting out demons in your name. And we forbade him because he does not follow us. And Jesus said, do not forbid him, for no one who works a miracle in my name can soon afterwards speak evil of for me. For he who is not against us is for us, or on our side. For whoever gives you a cup of water to drink in my name, because you belong to Christ, assuredly I say, he will by no measure lose his reward. So here you see John, you know, saying, hey, you can't do that. We're the disciples. Only we can do those kind of things. You're not one of us. And Jesus comes after him. In chapter 10, verse 35, we see a very, very selfish, narcissistic John and James. Beginning in verse 35. Then James and John, the sons of Devity, came into him and said, Teacher, we want you to do something for us, whatever we ask. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said, Grant us that we may sit, one on your right hand and the other on your left, in your glory. And Jesus went on to say, It's not for you to determine who sits there. It's not for you to determine this, it's what your Father in heaven determines that. And here you see a selfish James and John. One commentator said that they had presumption and extreme ambition. They wanted to sit on Jesus' right and left-handed. They were putting themselves before everybody else. They were saying, we're special. We're special. But over a period of time, as John spends more time with Jesus, listening intently to his words, watching how he reacts to people, 
how he treats people, how he tends to the unlovable, John's heart begins to change, doesn't it? Through spending time with Jesus, John learns to temper his passion for the truth. He tempers it with love, just as he thought Jesus do it. And finally, on that faithful day, standing at the foot of the cross, watching his Savior, his Master, his friend, nailed to that cross, dying. But he's listening, and he hears, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Something happened in John's heart. Something happened in John's heart. And after Jesus' resurrection and his eventual ascension into heaven, John is filled and baptized with the Holy Spirit. And now John has a renewed passion for truth. But that passion is based on love. He also has been given the power by the Holy Spirit to love those, just as Jesus loved him. And John begins to become passionate about this love. He begins to see this love at work in the hearts of others. It becomes the core of his teachings, not only in his epistles, but we saw in this, excuse me, not only in the gospel, but we saw in his epistle as well. We see John making this incredible transformation from a son of thunder to the apostle of love. And as we read through this epistle, we see the power of love that came out in all of John's writing. John had been transformed. He went from a hot-headed, immature young man who was seeking glory, fame, honor, power for himself to one who now seeks the share of love of God, the love that has overcome him. The love has overwhelmed him. The love has made him new and pure. We see that in John. The love of God that has filled up so much in him gushes out in his writings. Love one another. Love God. Love, love, love. And some of you are probably getting sick and tired of hearing the love, love, love. The same man who wanted to call fire down from heaven and wanted to sit at the right hand of God the Father and Jesus, he records the gospel and he doesn't even mention himself by name. Doesn't even mention himself by name. John no longer cares if you know him. He no longer concerned with his name. He wants to be known by one thing and one thing only. He wants to be known by the fact that Jesus loved him. John recognized that he wasn't special. He wasn't special because he was a great speaker. He realized he wasn't special because he was a disciple of Jesus Christ, although he was. John realized he was special because Jesus loved him. And because Jesus loved John, now he teaches us to love each other with the love of Jesus. And I see this beautiful transformation taking place. And we read about it as we went through this chapter of of chapter 4, which is nothing but over and over again, love one another. Love is of God. God is love. Love one another the way Jesus has loved you. And he's hammered it and hammered it and hammered it home. But in these last two verses of chapter 4, it's as if John says, all right, gloves are off. It's time for me to throw some punches. It's time for you guys to get real about all this love. Time for you to understand what I'm trying to say here. He takes an extremely stern position. He's saying, be careful what you say and what you do when it comes to love. Be very, very careful. In verse 20, he begins by saying, if someone says, if someone says I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? John uses this familiar phrase once again, and this is the seventh time he has used this phrase, if someone says. And usually after this phrase comes a warning. A warning follows. 
So it's almost as if John is now, he's been holding up a mirror, but now he's holding up a warning sign. Be warned as you look into the mirror. Be forewarned as you look into the mirror because the warning today is against pretending. Don't pretend about your love for God and your love for one another. This warning says your walk must match your talk. A warning says to be careful in saying that you love God, but by your actions, you show hate towards your brother. Now, brother is an all-encompassing. It could say brothers and sisters. It could say whomever. John says, if someone says, I love God, and there's kind of a question here, if someone says they love God. Now, we all claim to love God. We all claim to love God, even people outside. Oh, I love God. I love God. But John is saying the proof is in the pudding, gang. The proof of how we love God is the way we act towards one another. How do we act towards one another? Now, sadly, many of us think that love is a feeling. Well, too often we think love is a warm blanket on a winter night, snuggling up to the fire, feeling roasty, toasty all over, getting the chills. I don't believe if you think like that, you really know what love is. I don't believe you really know what love is. You see, the truth in the Bible is love is not an emotion. Loving like Jesus is not about having that warm, fuzzy feeling all over. Loving Jesus is about living a lifestyle that impacts the world like Jesus impacted the world. The deepest desire of everyone's heart, we know, is to love and to be loved. That's a deep heart society that's been placed in us. When we love others by how we live, we show them Jesus. When the world looks at us, they should see both our love for each other and our love for them. And to be honest, a church without love is not a church of Jesus Christ. If you don't experience love in a church, it's not a church of Jesus Christ. If we get one thing right, if we only do one thing right, let it be love. Let it be being known for our love. Let us love each other unconditionally. If love is not an emotion, what is it? It's an action. It's an action. God demonstrated his love for us that while we were yet sinners, Jesus died on a cross. That's an action. God proved his love for you and me and the world by allowing Jesus to die on a cross. That's an action there. Love is an action. And if your actions contradict your word, John says clearly, you're a liar, and the love of God is not in you. Ah, John, God, you're a liar. John doesn't mix too many words here. Back in chapter 3, in verses 16 through 18, he said, By this we know love, because he, Jesus, laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And this is what we've been saying. We must love God with everything we have. We just sang it. We just sang about it. All I have is yours. Did we not just sing that? All I have is yours. If that's true, then you're going to Take all that God has in you and share it with others. John is saying the hard, basic thing. If you don't love people, you don't love God. That's what John's saying. And if you're angry, don't get angry at me. Get angry at John. Actually, get angry at the Holy Spirit because he inspired John to write it. 
Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments to love one another. In order to be Jesus' people and for them to see Jesus in our lives, we must show them the love of God. I mean, we're not all evangelists. We're all not going to stand up and preach sermons and teach lessons, but every one of us is responsible for being Jesus in someone's life. Every one of us is responsible for being Jesus in someone's life. It may be your spouse. It may be your children. It may be your extended family. It may be a co-worker. It may be somebody you meet at Wawa. I don't know where it's going to be, but we're all responsible to show Jesus to someone else. Most of us are not extremely wealthy, so what do we do? You know, the primary way of showing Jesus' love, Jesus never gave people money. He never just gave them money, but it was seeing a need that they had and finding a way to do something about it. That's what Jesus did. Jesus didn't reside in the four walls of a church. Jesus' love was clearly seen by what he did for people, how he treated them. John says, I'm an eyewitness, so John's witness is true. John saw it. He was there. And our love will be seen in how we treat people, not necessarily what we do for people. One may follow the other if it's possible. Now, you know, and probably right now you're thinking of people in your lives, and you're probably saying, they don't deserve God's love. Am I the only one thinking that? <laughs> well, let me give you a wake-up call. You didn't deserve God's love either. No one deserved God's love. It was because of his grace that he poured his love out upon us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. We didn't deserve Jesus' love, but he still went up to a cross for you and me and the world. What does that look like? I don't know. Does it mean bringing a lunch for a co-worker who's having a, co-worker who's having a hard time with finances? Does it mean sitting down with somebody who's troubled in their heart and talking to them? Sharing God's love with them. I don't know, moving trash cans, taking trash cans in, mowing someone's lawn, doing something that nobody asked you to do, just sharing that love. And we're incorporating a new ministry called 12 Baskets and, and where we're going to fill up paper bags, uh, shopping paper bags with goodies and give them out to people. We're not opening a food pantry, but we're opening a, a, a 12 Baskets ministry. And when you get a bag of groceries that are full, bring it in, we'll find somebody in need, we'll give it to them. We'll give them out. The first step to looking like Jesus is loving one another regardless how they've treated you. Well, I can't love them. Look what they've done to me. That runs through your mind. I'll love them when they love me. Well, I'm glad Jesus didn't say that. I'm glad he didn't say that. Well, they treated me pretty poor. Love may be forgiving a family member that hurt you. It may be reconciling with a brother or sister that hurt you. Or... It may be reconciling with a brother or sister that you have hurt. Don't sit around and wait for that person to come to you. John says, this is a commandment that we have in verse 21. And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. The must there in the New King James is in italics, which means it wasn't there originally. It was there for clarification. It was placed there for clarification. And this must, it can be translated ought, and John already said that earlier, ought to love one another. But we read through the Bible in the beginning of the Old Testament that God commanded Israel to love him with all their heart, mind, and strength. And in the New Testament, Jesus said this was the greatest commandment. And then he added, love your neighbor as yourselves. 
He told the disciples that the world would know that they belong to him by the love they share. But the word must is an imperative. It is a command. When did we hear that before? When Jesus was talking to Nicodemus, he didn't say, you know, you should consider being born again. You know, if you feel like it, maybe you should try this born again thing. No. He said, you must be born again. John is saying we must love one another. We must love one another. And since it's commanded, what does this tell you? It tells you that it's within our power to do it or not. But it is in our own power. I can't love you in my own power. Trust me. I can't love you in my own power. I cannot love you in my flesh. But by the power of the Holy Spirit in me, I can love you. I can lay my down my life for you and love you by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus has given us the Holy Spirit. We need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit to have that power of the Holy Spirit because Jesus never asks you to do something that he does not give you the power to do it. He doesn't ask you to do something without giving you power. Therefore, love is what? A decision. Love is a decision we make. Yes, when I make a decision to love, feelings follow. But emotion is not basis of love. In any given situation, we can choose to love regardless of how we feel. Well, they don't love me. Tough. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. As he hung on a cruel Roman cross, looking at those who hated him with a vile hatred. That's what love looks like. If we try to love in our own power, our love grows cold. And we'll be exhausted, angry, and sad. And I know you felt that way when you tried to love in your own power. If love is a feeling then that feeling can be fleeting. It can not lasting. We can possibly lose that feeling. Hence the title of today. We can be doing all sorts of things for the Lord, but not have love in our hearts. And sadly, your love could have at one time been fervent. It could have been passionate for the Lord. It could have been strong. It could have been powerful. But you didn't continue in that love for somehow, some way, that love has waxed cold. It's gotten habitual, and you've backed off, and you said, I can't love that way anymore. Maybe you were doing it in your flesh. Maybe you were doing it out of self-needs. It's said by Jesus Christ. In verse 2, he says, I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found in them liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and you have not become weary. Jesus is throwing all these beautiful adjectives out upon them. You guys, you're great. Look at what you've done. Your patience is good. This is what you've done right. You tested everyone you've heard from men, making sure it was the truth. We talked about this, how today we desperately need to hear the truth. We need to seek the truth and hear the truth. We need to keep our ears opening. And there is only one truth, and it comes from God's Word. We need to be ever vigilant to look at everything through the lens of God's Word. You are a sure This has been another edition of A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank. Thanks for tuning in. Sometimes it's helpful to know what your boundaries are, what the acceptable parameters are for living your life. In this book, John made it clear to those he was writing to the differences or contrasts between light and dark. 
truth versus lies and Christ versus the Antichrist. These are opposites of one another because like all of life, there is a constant reminder of good and evil, of sin and righteousness. Throughout God's Word, He provides clues and instructions of what things are good and right. He also gives warning of what's wrong and sinful. So John's writing is a reminder of the boundaries God's put in place for your benefit. This is not any kind of punishment or consequence. On the contrary, it's to give you more freedom and to allow you to live life to the fullest here on earth and beyond. Is your heart waging war between these things that John has written about? Are you wrestling between loving the world and loving God? If you'd like to talk to someone about the things that you've heard today, please don't hesitate to call us at 609-884-5821. Again, that number is 609-884-5821. Keep looking to Scripture for answers and know that we care about the journey you're on. We're so glad you tuned in to Assure Hope today. Feel free to listen to more messages like this on our website, assurehoperadio.com. Be sure to join us again next time here on Assure Hope. Rescue.